This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, hour two of our show. Certainly, the onset of the recession a decade ago hurt many aspects of the U.S. economy. One area of impact was corporate investment. It sank significantly right afterwards. And even though it has been increasing in recent years, it hasn't increased fast enough to catch up with projections of where that investment should have been if you take the uh, recession out of play. And that also starts the question of where the corporate tax cuts should have taken uh, us in terms of maybe taking up that slack left behind. Joao Gomes is a professor of finance here at the Wharton School. He recently did a public policy initiative seminar on the topic titled The Decline of U.S. Corporate Investment. And Joao joins us here in our studio at the Penn Campus. Great seeing you again. Thanks for coming Great in. Great seeing you, Dan. Thanks Thank for you. having me. So I, I guess let's go back a decade and start with how significant of a decline we saw mm-hmm. in investment in general here in the U.S.? So obviously the 2008 recession um, was was damaging in a lot of dimensions for the U.S. economy, output and, and GDP, income, employment, everything suffered, obviously. But investment, perhaps more than anything else, um, while maybe the average American, maybe it's 15% worse off relative to some sort of hypothetical alternative world that would have taken place if the crisis didn't exist. Corporate investment is actually maybe 25% or 30% below uh, what it would have been in that alternative universe. Uh, so it's 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 quite um, it's quite significant, and this is more significant in a world in which we keep talking about U.S. corporations having enormous profits and 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 paying out enormous um, dividends and and repurchasing and returning capital to investors. Um, so there's this puzzle question mark about what exactly is the U.S. corporate sector doing? Why are U.S. corporations not investing in the United States? And this feeds into a number of other things, like um, you know, what's the future of the country, and and are we investing enough here? Or should, are, are we investing abroad? Are we doing something to damaging our workers? There's lots of questions that tie up to this one, um, and so we we started to be intrigued by this um, a, a few years ago. When we start looking at the numbers and we start looking at everybody's focus on the income of the average American, the employment opportunities and so on. But actually, the U.S. corporate sector seemed to be more more striking and more puzzling to us. And it seemed like the question mattered more and more as we get into the 2016 election and, and afterwards when we start talking about maybe the government should replace the private sector. Maybe we should do public investment instead. Hmm. And, and that was really the trigger for us to think more deeply about the reasons why the private sector is not investing. Is, is this something that they're doing because they don't want to because, or because they can't? That's kind of the central question when you think about policy. Is it something that should the government take over and do public infrastructure because that's really going to sort of be the catalyzer that's just going to trigger the private sector investments going to follow it pretty much like the, the rationale of the highway system of the 50s or the 60s or maybe the, the investment in, in technology that sort of even military technology trigger maybe the, the technology boom after the 70s and the 80s. Is this really a good reason to spend a lot of money on public infrastructure right? or maybe not? Maybe the reason we're not investing in, in the private sector, we don't see this, is because the private sector collectively is coming to the conclusion that the 21st century is just a different economy where we just don't need these kinds of heavy – 
assets, capital-intensive technologies, big plants. And but big... there are elements uh, of the U.S. economy and, and infrastructure yeah. being one, which a lot of people still see, and it's an ongoing process, Absolutely. that you need to continually invest in roads and bridges and such. And for a while there, it felt like we got away from it. Now we're starting to see, obviously, it was the initiative under President Obama to put more money towards that. And we continue to see that now, Mm -hmm. especially the concerns around the Highway Trust Fund, about making sure there is enough money to be able to have the best roads and bridges that we need. Absolutely. Um, and, and so the, the question with maintenance and, and you know repairing, keeping the, the existing capital and so on is is, is unquestionably something we, we should we should continue to do by and large. I think the, the real questions are about: Do we need a high speed line in California? Do we need a new airport uh, in New York? Do we need uh, even high speed line in the East Coast? Th- those are sort of the big money grabbing initiatives, and 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 that we we should think about. Uh, carefully as we go forward. Of course, repairing bridges, the, our water supply system. There's a lot of things that absolutely need upgrading, and and so you know we're not talking about uh, zero spending on infrastructure. We're talking about do we need to put a trillion dollars? And one of the things that that I think to, to think back and not to get sidetracked too much you know, out of corporate investment, but one of the things that sort of motivated me to think about this is a, a lot of the the countries in southern Europe. A lot of their fiscal problems came because of the fiscal spending they devoted to infrastructure right. in the last decade. So you look at, you know, we always think of infrastructure the way we think of China. Infrastructure has been crucial for China's development experience, we think. But infrastructure has been not, has really not been very helpful for Spain. Spain has built highways that nobody uses, has built airports that are literally abandoned. And, and we should think carefully about what is our role model. And, and it doesn't follow. Maybe China was successful because it was growing, and that's why the infrastructure ended up being, uh, in some sense, generating the revenues for the governments to pay for the infrastructure. Spain had no growth. The infrastructure costed a lot of money. The government did not have the tax revenues to pay back those debts. I don't know where we fall. I honestly don't. But I think we should ask that question. Does it make sense to spend a trillion dollars in infrastructure? And I think part of answering that question has to do with why is the private sector not – investing on its own in a world in which it has the resources quite clearly that we, we look at a huge amount of profits we we look at the payouts that they make into shareholders it's not a, no longer it might have been in 2008 2009 but it's no longer a question of financial capability the private mm-hmm. sector collectively has the resources to do a lot of things why aren't they not doing it well the, the, i guess part of the question and we've talked a little bit about this too is whether or not we're going to see more public private partnerships especially in infrastructure being, being one of them mm-hmm. is the history of what this country has been in terms of the investment the expectation has been that that money is coming from the government Absolutely. well it's not coming from the government as much as it did say back in the 50s and the 60s when we were building out all these roads exactly and then obviously the costs are, have increased markedly as well exactly uh, so public private partnerships are actually the solution that most of the southern european countries adopted it's it's extremely complicated to to negotiate these things and and uh, fundamentally they've worked in europe as a transfer of risk so the the, the basic reason you do public Private partnership is exactly the public government, federal level, probably in the U.S., but even state and local for sure, does not have the resources to build whatever it is that you want to build. You want to build a new airport in New York City. We just don't have the resources in the state of New York where the federal government's not willing to do it. So the private sector will build it and pay for it. And then in in exchange for that, you give them the rights to explore the airport and extract revenues. The question then is, 
what if the revenues don't show up? What if? Sure. Yeah. What if? And yeah. so, who pays the bill? Yeah. Well, in Southern Europe, the governments got stuck with the bills. So, yeah. the governments of of Spain, Greece, Portugal, England, in, in the case of railroads, are basically guaranteed a stream of revenues to these private agents to build these these roads. And now they are struggling to make those payments. And in some cases, they have to renegotiate those contracts. In some cases, it's just defaulted. Um, because the question always comes down to the same. The private sector will want a, re- a revenue compensation for this investment up front. It makes it more of a market-driven decision. A government can just walk into something like building a road and not worry too much about the benefits of that, the economic benefits. Well, I have the tax revenues to pay for that. Yeah. If I don't, I'll get them from someone else. Fine. A private agent will not want to do that, right? They will yeah. want to know if I'm going to put $100 billion into this, I want to make a big profit out of it because the risk is large too. Uh, so it makes the economics, if anything, more difficult, uh, in my opinion. It makes the funding up front uh, easier on the federal government, on the state and local government, that's for sure. But it, it brings the economic consideration. Does this investment make economic sense much more to the forefront than just, say, a, a publicly, purely public-funded investment would for, do? For people that, that don't follow it closely, when you talk about corporate investment, mm-hmm. what is it that, that really drives corporate right. investment these days? So one of the things we wanted to do was we excluded what – uh, we would call residential investment. The whole housing sector we just set aside because we have this episode that we might classify as a bubble of, of construction and, and, and crash afterwards. We set that aside. Okay. So we're looking just at um, plants, machines, computers, uh, even intellectual capital and software, uh, trucks, for example, You know, tangible assets, long-lived assets that we would use to to manufacture something. So undoubtedly, investment is tied a bit to manufacture. Warehouses would be maybe an exception on that to be tied to to other parts. But, you know, factories would be sort of the largest component in dollar value right. of what we were talking about. So I, I think um, that's essentially the component that, we, that we're looking at. And that's really where we've seen the the largest decline in the last – and to be fair, the one thing we, we, we made this – the whole project – sort of change a a little in nature is we started thinking 2008 was our starting point. We saw something bad happen in 2008. We saw a structural shift in the U.S. economy. Actually, when we looked at the data, we we started to see that maybe this happened way earlier and maybe we were deceived by this big boom of upgrading of technology in the late 1990s where everybody was a little bit worried about Y2K, and we saw a massive boom, particularly on the equipment part of, of uh, equipment, computer software. We saw a massive upgrading of, of technology at that point, and that sort of distorted the numbers. If you sort of take that out, it seems like for the last 35 years or so, you see a steady decline in corporate investment uh, that really accelerated post-2008. Um, and as I said, explaining that as... And there's lots of possible explanations we went through. Explaining that has been has been something that has fascinated us well, for, for a little while. And one of the areas that, that you talked about a little bit, but I want to delve deeper into, is the impact that technology mm-hmm. is having on this right now. Because it seems like there's an expectation that technology is going to be the cure-all yes. for this. Yes. And, and it's not going to be. There, there still is going to be very much a human element that, that needs to be incorporated into all of this these projects and this investment moving forward. I think so. I think absolutely, and I think that's that's uh, in in some sense it's 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 um, 
what the data speaks in some senses is that the U.S. corporations are concluding that they need to invest more in people and human capital and less and maybe more on intangible creations that those people manage to to achieve and less on the physical part of, of, of it. Um, so the, consistently, and I say more and more as we looked at it over the last 30, 35 years, you see this trend where corporations just have concluded that we do not need these tangible um, assets. Uh, we need the intangible part, the human capital part, uh, to be more important in, to play a bigger role in the production um, of, of goods and services in the whole nature of the U.S. economy going forward. I think it's a it's a – an important conclusion when you think about evaluating public infrastructure. I mean, what is the U.S. economy in the 21st century? If you want to build an airport, it's going to be around for 50 years. Yeah. Is that Does that make sense in a world in which maybe we will just do a lot more um, – We'll just do a lot more um, video conferencing. I don't know. Uh, and, you know, it's just it's just not obvious when you think about something fifty years out. That, are you that certain about the future of the of the U.S. economy in twenty first century that you want to, you know, reorganize um, the state high the interstate highway system for the twenty first century? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. I don't know if high speed rail is a good bet or not. There's lots of things that I think where risk is much more important. And the U.S. corporate sector clearly is not that certain anymore. But one of the things you talk about in the uh, in the paper that you did is, yeah. is the fact that the concerns of being able to get the capital yeah. that obviously were there in 2008, yes. 2009, and 2010, those problems are not as bad, significantly different yes. than they were you know, seven, eight years ago. Absolutely. I, I think that – so one of the things that really deceived us for a number of years, and it was just, you know, those concerns and generally a sense of uncertainty about the world. Uh, there was heightened uncertainty about what was happening. Where's the U.S. economy? Is this a new Great Depression? Or uh, All those things sort of masked for a while what was really driving investment. I think now we're down to basically two or three things. One possibility – um, which a lot of people have pointed out that I'm, I'm not that sympathetic to. I don't think that that is that supportive. But I think, but you know, there, there's some legitimate disagreement. Is just some of this is just uh, an increase in in concentration. There's just more. So, for example, consolidation in the airline industry would be that sort of the prototypical yeah. example. Yeah. Airlines consolidate; they just shut down capacity, and that's why we we see less investment. I think that's an explanation for some sectors for sure. Um, I don't see that as an overall explanation of what's going on in the U.S., but but I, I have to say I, I'm not 100 percent. And I mentioned this one because this is the one explanation where you would think if you believe that's true, then you, you move towards an explanation in which the U.S. corporate sector does not want to invest. Airlines do not want to increase capacity. They're right. consolidating. And if you believe the more weight you give to this explanation, the more you feel like – Maybe we should do something on the policy side. Maybe it makes sense for the for the federal government, for the state government, whatever, to in to intervene more aggressively right. and to compensate for a lack of private investment. I think it's possible. I don't think it's the most likely explanation. The only evidence for increase in uh, um, consolidation is the the enormous level of corporate profits that uh, we see. Um, I think that is masked by the fact that so much of corporate profits come from abroad. They don't come from the U.S. Right. And, and so I, I don't see the evidence as very clear to say that that is my explanation for investment. I prefer to, to think of it as a technology explanation. 
And to be honest, just a structural decline in the U.S. economy. The demographics look terrible going forward. I, I think the idea, you know, why build here if we do not see the purchasing power in the, in the future years? We don't see the productivity. But it is interesting with, the, with talking a little bit about the technology again yeah. for a second mm-hmm. is that it feels like we're almost at a transition point where, you know, we've had so much new technology come into our lives in, yes. in the last 20 years. And seemingly it feels like that technology is continuing to change on a much quicker cycle than maybe back in the manufacturing era. Mm-hmm. And because of that, to a degree, our companies worried about making or the airline industry making the investment in an, in an airport now when potentially an airport may not be needed. In exactly. Years. I think that's exactly that, that's exactly the, what, the way we should be thinking about, particularly when an airport is a 50 or 60 year old project. I think that's exa- exactly right. And I think, you know, we can tell lots of anecdotes, and I'm always very reluctant to, to extrapolate from anecdotes, but you can argue, you know, in a world of Airbnb, do we need lots more hotels? 700 room hotels, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, those are the questions about are we becoming so much more efficient at using the assets that we have? the structures that we have in place, our houses, our hotels, our cars with Uber, and so on. Do we need to build new things? Again, I don't want to extrapolate from too many anecdotes or just a few anecdotes in this case, but but I think that's the question for this particular part of the economy because it involves such a long uh, lead period. You're going, to put an, you're going to put a road in place. It's going to be there for 30 years. You're going to put, do the same thing with the bridge. So you need to think very carefully about the, the, the benefits of, and the costs of this, uh, whether it's on the public side or the private side. On the private side, we don't see businesses jumping the gun and going out and doing massive amounts of investment. There's just you know across. There's one exception, which is all the whole you know intangible software creation, right. but on the heavy yeah. structures, machines, equipment, factories, even hotels, we don't see that. Um, so I think. The, as I said, I, I think that there's lots of reasons we, we went through that, but I think fundamentally the technological transformation is where we settled as the most likely explanation of why we are moving to an economy that just needs less capital goods, do less you, assets. Do you think that then there is going to be a fundamental shift moving forward because of, as you said, maybe just a need of having less uh, you know, moving forward? I think so. I think uh, absolutely. Uh, no doubt about it. I think our ability to uh, – I think corporations are going to look very different. I think that uh, the, you know, even our wealth, what does it mean to be wealthy? We, we just, there's just going to be less physical things to own, absolutely. Um, I think so. But I would say you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm a little worried about speculating what it will look like. I'm sure right. it will look very different. Well, but you mentioned the policy side of things, yeah. and then that means that the policymakers – really going to have to take a deeper dive into what this is going to look like. And unfortunately, we've, we've kind of gotten into this pattern now uh, in the last 20 or 30 years of policymakers playing catch-up mm-hmm. to, to be able to see what's happening now instead of looking forward ahead, mm-hmm. you know, being able to kind of plan out where we are going. That's, that's a very fundamental problem that we have right now, and it's also economically a very costly one. I, I, and, and I don't think there's anything more costly than this, this particular one because we are talking about spending hundreds of billions of dollars, even on the public side, even if it's a, a, a public partner, public-private partnership, we would spend $100, 200000000000 billion of new taxes 
on things that are going to be around for 50 years that we may not need, very likely will not need. I think we need to – there's no more damaging, I think, uh, decision than this one. This is a long-lived thing we're going to have to live with. And, and we're going to do it for the only reason that we want to spend money. We want to give people jobs for a few years. But we're going to put in place things that literally the private sector is telling us we do not need right now. So it means part of the spending, or I should say maybe more and more of the spending is going to be on the quote-unquote patch, the fix, you know, taking I think care of make, what we yeah, have absolutely. now and and, yes. and just making sure that it continues to have life moving forward. I think until we have some visibility about what's going on. Um, but, I mean, I, I always go back to the basics. If you see people who are making business decisions who are looking at the dollars and cents of this are telling us, we don't want this. We don't want to do this. We have the money. We don't want to do it. How comfortable do I feel? spending taxpayers' money on this. Yeah. And it's never a question of – people sometimes say, you know, roads, uh, roads or bridges collapse, people die. I mean, that's just the wrong thing to say. The, I can, if I have money, I can spend it on saving health care. I can spend it on, on, on retirement benefits. It, it, the question is just, is this the best use for public money? So then do we need to have more of the mindset of the, the private sector, CEO, C-suite, playing out in the public sector? I think we should be mindful of the f- I, I think yes, but I think we should be mindful of the fact that in this case, our gap in uh, we can differ. We can legitimately say, look, the they don't know what they're doing. They make mistakes. Of course, they make mistakes. Sure. Yeah. But do they make that big of a mistake? Are they making these billions of dollars worth of mistakes? They're literally not investing. I mean, they're basically replacing the old capital and, and not putting new capital in play. Um, are we sure that are they that wrong? Are we that sure? Um, and and that seems to me very difficult to to. They could be a little bit wrong. We, we could sort of say, okay, maybe the return on private capital is rather low, but maybe there's something public on public capital that has enormous benefits to society, and we should do it. But boy, the gap has to be really large right now for us to believe that's that's a sensible thing but to do. Th- then, do you believe then that at some point, whatever that mm-hmm. period of time is, twenty five years, yeah. fifty years, whatever it may be that we are going to figure it out and we're going to have just this rush of investment on, on a variety of different levels because yeah. we understand where the path needs to be going into the 22nd century in, <laughs> you know, uh, on the planet. I, I think if that happens, the private sector will show first <laughs> the interest in doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't see... I, you know, that there could be obviously exceptions, but you would see that fever of interest coming out of the private sector first. I think when they show such manifest uh, lack of interest in private investment, I think you have to be, you have to conclude there's something fundamental about it in my mind that you should listen to. We've seen quite a few uh, mergers in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Is the expectation that that you'll continue to see a a higher level of, of M and A activity? I think so. Um, this is where – so I've avoided on purpose to talk about the tax code. Um, but uh, I think the, the reform of the tax code created some additional incentives for firms to merge to take a, to merge to take advantage of some of the – I mean, I would consider them loopholes. I can't believe that that's the way it was designed with respect to, to subsidizing investment. Right. We do have some measures in the tax code that are likely to boost investment in the United States in the next couple of years. Um, some very generous incentives um, for the next five years or so. Um, so we might see, for example, we, we allow firms not to fully expense 
their capital expenditures for the next five years, and then those get phased out. So we should see a, a bunching up of investment um, in the next few years if that tax law doesn't get changed, which we'll see. What What was the reaction that, that you got from all of these ideas? Because, I mean, these are you're talking yes. to people that, that are, in many cases, the decision makers that need to kind of think about these things in the years to come. I think intrigue. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. were intrigued. Yeah. I think that uh, it does challenge a little bit the perceived wisdom about public infrastructure. I think people who believe in public infrastructure should really take a close look at Southern Europe and why did they get into trouble. We keep looking at China. And the argument for public infrastructure has always been for the last number of years, look at these beautiful, shiny things in China. We should have the same. Right. And to me, that's the same as saying – Boy, then you have an iPhone 10. I should have the same. Right, right, right. Uh, I can't stand having an 8. Um, <laughs> that's a bad argument. I mean, that's the argument that my daughter would have. You know, I want the latest PlayStation or something. That's just, that's just not a serious economic argument. The right argument is, does this make sense for us? To, you know, can we generate the growth going forward that pays for itself, that makes our lifestyle improve, that makes our citizens better off, et cetera? And, and I see none of that argument. Right. So, you know, the, the jealousy argument is the argument that got us into trouble with the housing market. I want to make mention too. You know, it's the kind of argument we used to make fun of, but somehow with infrastructure, it doesn't apply. Yeah. Well, if you're going to look at somebody infrastructure, look at Spain, look at Greece, look at Italy, look at Portugal, look at England, look at how they got into trouble. <laughs> Don't just look at China. Um, it's just not enough. Um, you can get beautifully China infrastructure and you can go bankrupt the next yeah. year or two. Um, and that's just the reason is the growth is not there. You don't need it. You really don't need it. It's not the, your silver bullet. And I think when you look at corporate investment, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that the private sector collectively, billions of dollars, CEOs from everywhere are telling us we collectively who operate in this U.S. economy do not see the need for these assets, for these capital goods. Does the government feel that comfortable that all of them collectively are? substantively wrong i i don't personally yeah. joao great seeing you again thank, thank you for you, coming Dan. in this was great thank, thank you. you very much for more insight from knowledge at wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu